This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Savor. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And we've got another bonus episode for you today. Another one? Another one. Just when you thought you were rid of them. Never be rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> bonus episodes of Savor will haunt your podcast queue forever. <laughs> <laughs> that was our, our evil plan all along. We're going to present you with more content. No. I think that is a thing. Entertainment overload? It's a thing. Anyway, <laughs> uh, this is a positive thing. Yes, because absolutely. It, it's a wonderful interview we did, like, out in the woods. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. We were interviewing Jamie Ager of Hickory Nut Gap Farms, which he's a, he's a fourth-generation farmer, and he invited us out to his farm, and our podcast studio for the day was, like, in a glen of the woods with a babbling brook next to us. We were sitting on rocks. It was so. So if you hear a lot of those nature noises in this one, it's because it's because we were having a beautiful time. Yeah, we didn't we didn't ask Super Producer Dylan to add those in. It really <laughs> happened. We have pictures to prove it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this was a another great interview that we were fortunate enough to get, and we thought that we would share it with you. So here we go. How did, how did the farm start, start out? Four generations, goodness. Well, my great-grandparents moved here in 1916, and they, uh, my great-grandfather was a minister. He was a Presbyterian minister from uh, the northern suburbs of Chicago, and he um, fell in love with a banker's daughter, my great-grandmother, who was Elizabeth Skinner Kramer McClure, and she, um, they came through western North Carolina on their honeymoon, and they found this farm, and it was... Um, owned at that time by an 80-year-old man and his 22-year-old wife. And so the story is that my <laughs> great-grandfather went upstairs to kind of make a deal on the farm, right? But the real deal happened on the porch where my great-grandmother, whose father had the money to buy the farm, uh, and the 22-year-old wife discussed the fact that the 22-year-old wife needed to get back to town. She was really tired of being so far out here in the middle of nowhere. So my great-grandmother <laughs> said, I think we need to do this. And so um, you know, now I've got 20-some cousins around here, and, and we're pretty rooted in this little piece of land. It is 
beautiful. Um, what particular part of the property are we sitting on right now? So right now we're sitting on, um, when I was a little boy, we had a dairy farm here. We milked about 40 some cows. Oh. And um, we, my, my wife Amy and I graduated from college in 2000 from Martin Wilson College and we got interested in the whole idea of local food and direct marketing and and sort of raising animals in a way that was good for the environment, that was um, more humane for the animals, and doing all those types of things. Um, but in addition to that, the farm here, we realized, was uh, pretty close to Asheville. And so we could also do some agritourism out here. And so when I was a little boy, this was all sort of concrete. And we had dairy cows in here, and it was manure everywhere and all that. And uh, over time, we kind of took a lot of that concrete out and planted grass and just kind of made it more aesthetically appealing. And so um, this space here is just a nice little tucked away area that um, we can sit by the creek and relax. And Yeah, this I, I do have to say this is one of the loveliest places we've ever podcasted from. We're usually in a room about the size of this rock. Nice. <laughs> Very nice room. Nothing, nothing against our studios back home. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, oh heck. Uh, so so you say that you you got interested in this in like after you graduated from college. Did before that point, did you think that you weren't going to come back into the family business? So when I was little, of course, the farm was hard work and you got all sweaty and it wasn't necessarily something that you really wanted to do all the time. But then um, when I was in high school, you start to be able to sort of physically be able to do stuff and it feels good. And there's something about the human experience when you're a teenager where you want to sort of use your muscles and use your body and just be physical. And, and so um, I liked it. I liked working in high school a lot. Um, but my parents never really, and maybe my parents would disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> just want to put that out there but um but i uh was never really encouraged to like try to make a living with the farm it was never really making us any money or anything like that um so so whenever i went to warren wilson i kind of got introduced to all these ideas of how you can you know grow animals in a more sustainable manner that then um you know, the, the costs with growing, you know, farmers for the past hundred years have been incentivized on an economic level with one thing, and that's just a low cost because there's no way to control the price because everything was commodity driven. And so, so the fact that we were sort of trying to do things in an environmentally friendly way um, was exciting to us sort of as young, idealistic people straight out of college trying to save the world and we can do this, you know? Um, and so that concept to me was really exciting. And so, and it's funny because now I'm 40 and we have three boys and they're 14 and 11 and eight, and I'm still fired up and, and idealistic and feel like we can maybe a little bit more, you know, uh, realistic now. <laughs> but yeah, that's basically that, that experience of, uh, of feeling like you can make something happen. Uh, and, and make change and, and, and be on the land and pay attention to, to the grasses. You know, it's amazing to be able to see a, a cycle over and over and over again, something like a farm, because a farm is a, you know, the seasons and the weather matter. And so every day there's an awareness to uh, how the weather impacts the land and so and that's and that's like one statement that that is very complicated right oh yeah and so you know one example of that is always fun whenever we see like that first really hot day of the year maybe like towards the end of may or early june and we hit 90 some degrees and all the little uh crabgrass and all the warm season grasses you start to see come up um, or the wine berries that grow in the woods become ripe and it's sort of like okay that's what happened the morning that Amy 
we had Cyrus, our 14-year-old son. I mean, I picked wine berries. And so you oh, have wow. all these sort of connections to, to, the, to the land over time that kind of multiplies. And it's, it's really amazing to see. And then you see, you know, after a big rainstorm, it's like, wow, this, this, this whole thing is just crazy right now. It's green you know? and verdant. Yeah, 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 you feel it. Yeah. It becomes a part of you. Uh, what about this land uh, produces good product in the end, but, but good healthy animals in the meanwhile? Um, so the farm here, our, our general philosophy is to promote biodiversity on the landscape. And, and so, you know, in, in nature, you want sort of a mixture of pasture land and woods and creeks and healthy water. And so in order to have that diversity you need to have you know animals that complement that and so I always feel like uh, cattle and grasses the impact they have with the soil are are really amazing because you're taking a grassland ecosystem basically and if you go out into one of our pastures you'll find 10 different species I was out there yesterday with a group and you know we've got Timothy right now you've got some crabgrass ragweeds red clover white clover fescue, all brome grass, all these different types of grasses. And, and, you know, basically with cattle and grazing management, you're turning those grasses into high quality beef. And if you can take those grasses and we practice what's called a rotational grazing, which means you rotate the cattle on a frequent basis. And so the grass gets to grow up big, thick and deep. And then you graze it off and you leave a lot of poop and pee behind. And then you move the cattle on and it and it sort of mimics the way that nature has always been grazed like the bison on the plains because you have this prey animal like a cow or a bison or a deer that travel in herds and so those animals in nature travel come to an area graze it off and then they move on and so we may we, we can manage that with electric fence on a farm and, and when you do that, you, you end up with um, a grazing management system that actually builds soil. And so it's, it's sort of beyond the whole concept of sustainable and it becomes a much more concept of regenerative because you're taking the soil and when you, when you graze this way, you're, you're stomping down a lot of the grass, right? Because it's big and tall and the cows are pooping on it. And so that soil surface um, decay and manure and all that actually builds soil organic matter. And so the, the plants utilize carbon out of the atmosphere when they grow, because mm -hmm. that's the plant-human relationship. Mm -hmm. And then, and that's just through photosynthesis. And then whenever you graze it off, a lot of that litter comes back, you're building soil organic matter, and soil organic matter is basically carbon. So you're putting carbon back into the soil, so you're regenerating a healthy soil through that grazing process and not, you know, I feel like a lot of the environmental uh, language deals with sort of mitigating our environmental impact, you know, lessening our damage, so to speak. Whereas it's exciting to me when we look at these systems that we can actually build soil. And that concept is like, wow, that's, that's a really cool about human nature dynamic. Yeah. That's exciting. Um, so, uh, so if, if, if you were starting about 20 years ago, you, you got in kind of on the, on the ground floor of Asheville sort of morphing into what it is today from, it, it had been so economically depressed uh, for a long time. And uh, you guys kind of came up alongside the, the beer scene um, and, 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 the, and the restaurant scene downtown. Um, how, how has, the business and the area changed since you've been working? Yeah, it's pretty remarkable over the last, you know, since my great-grandfather came here in 1916, um, Western North Carolina was basically sort of just post-Civil War poverty Appalachia, you know, that sort of negative stereotype that the Snuffy Smith cartoon sort of epitomizes. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's 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 neat to see the blossoming of an incredible food scene and 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 for us it's been really amazing to
to get to be a part of that because it's something much bigger than what we are out here at this specific farm. But the whole, the whole um, appreciation of quality, the appreciation of care, you know, the human relationships that, that get developed through that process. You know, there's chefs in town now that, uh, one example is the, the chef at Zombras, and they have Copper Crown too, and they're good friends of ours. Um, and their children and our children all go to school together. And I remembered making a delivery there uh, maybe 14 years ago. It was like a big 50 pound case of short ribs I'd had in the freezer or something. And I was like, can you guys take this? He was like, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> and uh, chefs love short ribs and it, oh, nobody, yeah. no cut, people don't know what to do with short ribs, but chefs know how to make them really good. Uh, and so they had just had a baby. And so, and I had just had a baby about a year before, so our oldest is Cyrus. And so, um, you know, now, now uh, this, this past year, I got to coach their son who's in seventh grade now in basketball. So it's kind of like I get to like, you know, we, we're sort of seeing each other all mold and change and grow as human beings in the process and not just as like business relationship, chef, farmer kind of things, but it's where we're sort of, you know, community basically. And the community part of, of you know, looking after each other's kids and, and caring about um, how each other's businesses are doing because they matter to, to us for, for economic purposes. But then there's also the emotional friends and connections that really make life worth living. We have even more of our interview with Jamie, but first we're going to pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. And back to the interview. 
Um, how, how do you guys collaborate with other uh, entities in the community? You know, we, we have a, we sell to about 40 different accounts all over Asheville. Uh -huh. And so that's a lot of weekly collaboration and, and partnership. And, and, you know, really telling the story about the history and about our, our philosophy. Because what we've realized, and, and this was sort of an interesting thing to realize, is that, you know, when we first started, we were thinking about grass-fed beef and how we can do a good job raising these cattle and, and, and focusing on better systems for cattle and hogs and raising hogs outside and um, developing those systems. But what we, um, what, what's, what's exciting to me is that we can not only, you know, have a neat little story here at the farm, but also um, because we've done the hard work of marketing and branding and sales, which drives business, um, that we've been able to um, really think about how do we change agriculture and the, and the way people think about food in a much more comprehensive manner and not just the fact that, you know, it's, it's from this, you know, this, this unique production model, but really think about how do we, how do we change farming and how do we, how do we rethink how farmers produce. So we actually now have a, a producer group of farmers that we have a wholesale side of the business that we work with a bunch of other farmers. And so now they don't want to be out marketing and selling and all that stuff. They want to just produce. And so now we feel like we can go to these guys and say, hey, and girls, we say, hey guys, this is, this is a good opportunity. This is workable. We have a market. Here's the program. And, and it allows folks to A, stay on the farm, which is a big deal, and B, develop a different model for, for their farms that they don't have to just stay on this commodity game. And so that's always a, uh, a win for, for everybody. And so, um, to me, it's exciting to sort of consider how we, our, our production paradigms, because like feedlots and all the big agriculture stuff came about just because of the business opportunity that was there and somebody started figuring it out. And, and so now people, you know, there's a whole nother generation of people asking questions about how does this get done? Who's the, how do we, how do we sort of understand the impact of our eating when I eat a steak or some hamburger or something, what, what does that look like all the way through back to the farm, back to the environment? And, and so, and that's, those are not questions that people have historically pushed on. And so now it's like, well, let's, let's give that all that consideration, which is a big thing because the meat, the, you know, meat and agriculture are big industries. So. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, this is the second time I've said this today. Sorry, podcast listeners. Um, uh, uh, but yeah, as Checkers once said, like we've we've got to eat, and uh, that yeah, you, <laughs> that's right. Uh, and and yeah, it's it's it, it's gigantic. Um, and it's and, funny and because important. like I was sorry to interrupt. Oh no no no, no. you're fine you're fine. Uh, um, I was thinking about one time oh, the whole marketing and sales dynamic, and I remember one time I was trying to sell um, a bone-in rack, like a, a pork chop, the rack with the ten bones in it. And uh, I was selling to a chef in town and we were trying to get it cut right. And our butcher was kind of a small butcher and he didn't quite know how to cut it just right. And, and this is, there's a million challenges in the whole local meat scene. This is just an example of one. But I remember I had done deliveries that day and dropped it off. It was frozen when he got it, so he couldn't really look at it, you know, so he thought it. And then I came back to the farm and I was out with the pigs way out there doing something you know, fixing the fence or checking them out. And then he calls, he's like, hey, it's not quite right. Can you, can you bring me another one? I got this event, I need product. And now I'm like, sure, Ran. I'll, yeah, let me go look in the freezer and see what I can find. So I'm like back in the freezer with like manure on my boots. <laughs> and I'm like trying to find some frozen pork. And I'm like, farm to table is cool until it's not cool. <laughs> and so like, you know, there is some supply chain segregation that might be appropriate. So. <laughs> That, that was a good example for me on what I, what I was, uh, the entrepreneur side of, of, of Farm to Table is meeting a, a roadblock. Um, 
it's it's cool to hear you talk about uh, other other farmers in the community and, and and what they're doing and you know the idea of lifting everybody up. It, one of the common threads, everyone that we've talked to in town has has talked about how um, it's it's more a spirit of collaboration than competition. Right. Um, uh, what um. Could, could you talk a little bit about some of the um, specific uh, uh, breeds that you guys uh... for for hogs we okay. use uh, mostly a Berkshire Duroc uh, we have a red wattle boar at the farm here right now so some of the more heirloom type breeds that are um, a little bit more marbling a little bit more fat that's always yummy yeah <laughs> and so uh, that's that's certainly the breeds we use on the hog side for for cattle um what we've found for grass finishing but cattle is that you know when a, in a feed lot there's um a, a, a lot of corn and soybeans and whatever sort of cheap byproducts are available and that puts a lot of weight on these animals quick when you're in a grazing paradigm you're not going to get that consistent kind of weight gains uh, ever and so we we look for animals that you don't have to take the 14 to 1500 pounds to get them fat we want a smaller framed animal and so we use a lot of like angus genetics uh, smaller framed angus there's a lot of different breeds within that that we use but um smaller framed animals that will uh and, and primarily what it ends up being is the english breeds work the best like angus hereford devon um, those type breeds because it seems like there's the continental breeds, which is more like the French name, you know, Limousine and Charlet and all those breeds. We have a harder time uh, finishing adequately in a grass-based system. And so, so those are the breeds we mostly use for the program. Um, how much has uh, scientific and technological developments changed what you do uh, since you started? I, th I think that there's, there's more transparency. There's, and, and I'd say like, you know, social media and these types of things are the real um, people asking questions. There's, there's a lot more availability for information. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and then people are really clueless about stuff. And so, which is probably why you do this podcast. Um, and so I feel like, you know, what's like the technology, you know, on a farm is electric fencing that's a really like it's not super new but it certainly is a technology that we use all the time every day because it's very portable and and and, and easy to change and so when you're in the farming systems that we use that's an important feature because you're kind of like oh it's this grass got away from us there's a ton of grass in here we can cut this paddock in half and not have everything so big so you just one strand electric takes 10 minutes to put up get it hot, bam, you're good to go. Um, so that would be a really good technology. Um, Square for a little farm store is great. <laughs> That's a pretty mainstream, iPads and stuff like that. But then there's also technology that I, I see coming, like blockchain and stuff like that, that's gonna help us, you know, take a animal, one animal, and whenever it's somebody's eating it on a plate, there'll be some app that'll easily identify that animal to the farm you know what i mean which i think is going to only continue to build this uh line of of communication of partnership that that we really want to promote so i think i see that as like something that we want to embrace yeah but it's also like how much does it cost and <laughs> and every all these all these techies are trying to figure out what there's like three or four different companies trying to figure that out and then you don't want to like be their protocol necessarily i mean you're yeah. kind of always going to be that but it's also like do you have it right or do you have it right because i don't know any of this technology <laughs> stuff and they are usually like guys that are girls that don't have any real experience on a farm so it's like sure you know we can just stick it on this thing it's like man then you gotta go through the creek and it's not gonna you know it's yeah. just not workable so then the farmers are all like ha uh -huh. <laughs> so that's a it's always a good balance um what kind of what kind of I, I know this is a large answer, but but what kind of products do you guys create, and uh, and how has that changed over the course of your? Um, so we create, you know, a, on a live animal basis, we raise or, or live livestock or farm production. Um, here at the farm, we have cattle, we have pigs, 
Um, we have some pasture-raised chickens, and so we, we have a portable house. We move those chickens every day. Um, and then we process them on the farm here and sell them through our farm store um, and to local restaurants and stuff like that. And then um, we have uh, blueberries that we do, and we also have some apples. And so when people come out here, you know, our mission here is to sort of connect people to the family farm experience and, and give them a place to come to and learn about agriculture. Because that's kind of who we are and what we're about is, is, is a place to kind of come touch and feel it and not just kind of read it in a book because that's different. And yeah. so, um, but that's the physical items that we produce. So, uh -huh. importantly, when you kill a cow, process a cow, or harvest a cow, whatever you want to say, kills fine, um, you end up with one animal equals 50 different items. You have ribeyes, bavette steak, ground sirloin, ground beef, bones, mixed bones, backbones, the head, the cheek, all these different pieces and parts. And so you've got to figure out how to um, market and sell those parts evenly. And so it's one of the big challenges of the sort of local pasture-based industry is we end up with a lot of sales on your ribeyes and your New York strips, but you end up with a lot of ground beef or chuck or gooseneck pieces or round or whatever. And you can't, you know, from a cash flow standpoint, you know, this animal, you know, you, you have a lot of cost in the animal. And so your margin on selling all that stuff isn't great. And so you're, you're forced to make sure you sell evenly because you have a customer that consistently wants steaks and you're just killing an animal for the steaks week after week after week. All this other stuff piles up and you're gonna lose money. And so you've gotta find sort of an even market for all that stuff. So making sure that you pay attention to that. And so some items that help with that are, you know, like meat sticks and stuff like that, which also happen to be very popular with people when they've drank a lot of beer and they are at a brewery <laughs> and there's a meat stick there. It's nice and salty and it costs you two bucks. It's like, yeah, give me that thing. So it's a good, good partnership for us with, uh, with local folks in Asheville. We've got a little bit more of this interview left, but first we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Apple Park. Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. 
Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. And back to the interview. Have consumers' tastes changed? I mean, we, we've, we've talked a bunch about how, you know, there, there being more information and, uh, and people asking more questions, but uh, are, are just like the, the cuts of meat uh, or, the, or the types of, uh, types of stuff that, that chefs, that consumers are asking for, has that changed? Yeah, I mean, I think people nowadays, like, know what bavette or flat irons, there's more vernacular common knowledge about those cuts. Uh, and then it's funny because some chefs, you know, want to feature a local item. And so they'll, they want to do like a appetizer, like pig ears or something like that, which is great. But it's also like, wait, you can't just buy pig ears. Like that. We also have other <laughs> items too. <laughs> like there is sort of this whole movement towards using the whole animal, which is great. But it's like all of a sudden pig ears become the most valuable piece on the animal. And you're like, this is... We, we still have to move the whole pork chop and everything else, too. So uh, that was a funny moment. When we were like, that guy, is just all he wants is pig ears. Like, okay, well, what do you do about that? So I think people are more acceptable. Like, nowadays, you can go to a restaurant and order pig ears, right? I mean, that's something that happens. Oh, and that's legitimately yeah, great. Yeah. yeah, people love it. And it's fun, and it's exciting, and it's adventuresome. So I feel like people are, you know, more stepping out of their box and looking for that creative, artistic experience of a, that a chef provides. Um, and Asheville's got those people. And Asheville's the kind of town that, you know, it's becoming more like you can just get a job. But people that wanted to live here, you just had to figure out how to make it kind of work for yourself. You had to be an entrepreneur. You had to, you know, get through um, the, the money. Making a living is important, especially when you get kids. And, and so the entrepreneur scene here and the service-based economy that we have due, due to all the tourists certainly lends itself towards people that live here are artistic types. And so a lot of chefs were like, yeah, Asheville's great. Let's start a restaurant. And it's just kind of blossomed into an artisanal place to do business. Do you have a favorite part of the job? I guess it's changed. Like, yeah, you know, you're, you're always changing as a human being. So, so like always I've enjoyed just walking around the farm. You know, and like not being super focused on, this is hard, but not being super focused on all the, the, the tasks that need to be done, but just sort of trying to be deliberate <laughs> and mindful of just like, let's just be in it and, and walk around the farm in that space and not in the sort of, oh, that needs to be done. Oh, this needs to be done. Oh, 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 there's so-and-so. Um, so that's sort of just, just watching and paying attention. I think that's my favorite part is just kind of like, just being, being, uh, watching the change happen, you know, paying attention. You get a good warm day in February and you see the grass grow a little bit. It's like, hey, everything's cheering up, you know? And then, uh, and then people, I like people. I'm a people person. So it's neat for me to interact with customers, to see, to see what this looks like, to work with farmers, to see what that looks like. How do we, I like to solve problems too. So I kind of like stress. I'm like, yeah, bring it on. This is a good problem. Let's figure it out. You yeah. know, and that's and then and this type of agriculture where the prototypes are not dialed in yet. You know what I mean? Like I feel like we can grow grow some pretty high quality grass fed beef at this point, but we have apples and do I feel like we can do organic apples and like feel convincing that that's a good idea for other farmers to do? I don't feel that way. You know, I feel like we have we're not we're very humble in our approach towards sort of the concept of sustainability and then the 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 reality of the marketability and sales and the business side of executing on that vision. And so we, we keep our eyes sort of wide open in both those places. And so it's, you know, there's a lot of great concepts and ideas about there, how to improve things, but you know, there's a bajillion details in that, that you have to pay attention to. And then you have to sort of wrap it up for the consumer and make sure it's clear 
what we're doing and not just a uh, and not just um, a concept that has no basis in reality. Like you can grow organic apples that look like crud that you can sell for twice as much. It just doesn't work. Yeah, people people want a pretty apple, and I I pick the bad apples out of the bin. But my kids are human beings, and they haven't really been educated like I have been, and they always go for the pretty one. And I'm like, yeah, you're that's just that that. What you just did drives me crazy, <laughs> but that is who you are, and you—it's—it's it's almost like something to do with the Garden of Eden or something. <laughs> I feel like sometimes the ugly ones taste better. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and then maybe there's this whole ugly food and ugly fruit movement that's going to have some traction. But my retail experience selling apples in the fall has led me to believe that people like a big apple with no blemishes, and. Uh, and that's that's hard to do organically oh, sure. consistently yeah here in our area um i you, you, you might have just answered the question but is there anything that you're experimenting with right now that you're looking forward to for the, for the future so that's one um we're uh we're doing a lot of different things we're also we're actually i'm sort of an idea person in some ways having lots of ideas which which can get kind of overwhelming sometimes for everybody so i'm I'll put a moratorium on new ideas for the time being. Um, but, uh, you know, everything from making new sausages in the butcher shop here to um, trying to do the apples organically to we had a little project last year with some, um, what was it, the, uh, uh, the, the soldier flies where you can generate that. We had bringing in a little bit of brewer's grains and trying to ferment that and turn it into soldier fly larvae that we could then feed the chickens. That's what it took. That was kind of a, a, a nice concept, but it was very sort of rotten oh, space and corner yeah. of the barn smelled pretty bad. Um, <laughs> you know, experimenting with the best way to get your kids to like farming. <laughs> And so that's a big one. That's uh -huh. a big experiment. Uh -huh. and, and I'm happy to say that my 14-year-old says that's what he wants to do behind, it's number two, behind being a professional athlete. And so I'm cool with that. I feel like that's a win. That's a good number two. That's a good, yeah, yeah like number one, choice. being an NBA star or, yeah. So I'm like, yeah, that's, 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 that's. That's way better than I anticipated. And it's funny because I didn't really know this until he does like a presentation to his school about what he wants to be. I'm like, really? Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I just learned a lot about you. How do your, how do your parents feel about all this scene, seeing all these changes around here? They like it. They, they're into it. Uh, mom, mom's around all the time. And mom trumps anything. Like she's, I might <laughs> think I'm in charge or, you know, we might have some conception that we should make decisions, but... If she disagrees, then it's just what you do. Um, but we get along just fine. And me and my mom are pretty similar. We kind of like to go and do it and have fun together. And um, it is, she wears a blue sweatshirt as often as she can, especially in the winter, that says the boss. <laughs> and so that helps clarify any confusion anybody might have about the situation. But uh, they like being around the farm. They've been around the farm their whole lives. And so it's neat to, uh, you know, integrate the summer camp and all that stuff. And there's a million things in the middle of it all that are annoying. And they didn't tell us this. And, Mom, you're driving me crazy. And where's the tractor? Oh, Mom's got her. She can't get the bobcat started. And she calls me. Because Mom does all this. She drives the tractor. She does all that. So it's kind of fun to... But in the back of her mind, she's annoyed by me because I took this little piece off. And I don't... She I can't find it. And... So that's, that's, that's partly a relationship of, you know, being on a family farm of being annoyed by one another's inadequacies because that's human nature and that's what we do. And so Willie Nelson said you can either enjoy that and appreciate it or you can get really frustrated and annoyed by that. So Willie's got good advice just about just, just, just be in it. Stay cool. <laughs> <laughs> favorite things what do you think makes Asheville Asheville what do you love about it, do you uh, love it? so Asheville I think I think like all the sort of artistic parts of of uh, the people here that are that are want to be creative that want to do things differently and think about things differently and how do we uh, 
think about what it means to have a really crazy type of beer. And that you can actually sell it. And people are coming here for these different products. And it's not just a story. You know, this is like we're experimenting with really unique and crazy ideas in sort of this entrepreneurial artistic ecosystem that is generating some really interesting stuff. Um, and that to me is probably my favorite part about sort of being in Asheville and going to check out a new restaurant. And there's, there's enough people that are sort of part of that experience now that are able to um, sort of carry that to other cities and you see it more in other cities too now. And so it's cool to be able to, to um, have been on the ground when a lot of that got started. And, and so that, and then just the sort of community piece of it, it's still a pretty small town. And so you get to know other people and you see people around and, uh, you know, community's great because you're sort of accountable to one another, but it's also annoying because you're accountable to one another. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and so there's, that's, that's, I like that. <laughs> Speaking of being annoyed, um, <laughs> what about if you could share some message that you think the average American consumer doesn't know what what would you tell them if you could grab them by the shoulders and do it well, that's a good question <laughs> that there's more more to sort of a, just an item on the shelf you know like there's a story back there there's a people back there and and we all impact each other and 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 the sort of old paradigm of of regulating the correct behavior is ineffective and, and, and obsolete to some degree. And so we've got to find a way to build accountability and integrity and all the things that we want with food, with products, all that kind of stuff. Um, consumers are driving that at the end of the day, all day long. And that matter. And so their buying choices matter. You know, you vote with your dollar way more every day than you do with your vote. Votes matter too, <laughs> but, but, you know, there's a there's a sort of general everyday vote that also really matters and incentivizes the type of future that you want, basically. Is there a dish to you that you're kind of like nostalgic for that is like when you think of Asheville of your childhood, what is the food that you think of? So I grew up with my parents on a big garden. So that's all kind of what my experience was with like the summertime. And, Pork chops, that was always our favorite as kids. Uh, and like mashed potatoes out of the garden that are like new potatoes, you know, so oh, yeah. they just came out of the garden and they're small and they're really yummy and they have lots of butter. And then, <laughs> and like, uh, you know, maybe some uh, a nice salad, something like that, or some peas. Peas were always good. Although we never really picked peas much because we just went out there and ate them right out of the garden. And oh so, yeah. That was us. And I guess with Asheville, gosh, it's probably like crispy pig ears or like, you know, <laughs> like what, what can we make out of this? And, and so uh, I'll always order that, you know, as an appetizer and then we can share it. <laughs> um, do, do you have a favorite cut of, of, uh, of meat? Do you have a favorite, like if you're going to? Yeah, like, I mean, I think that it's hard to beat a ribeye. But at the same time, some of the more unusual ones, like a flat iron steak, is a really good steak for the price point. It's, you know, if I like had to buy meat, which is kind of, I'm lucky I don't have to really, but that's what I would probably buy more frequently just for the prices. And then um, pork chops. <laughs> pork chops are always good. <laughs> yeah, can't argue. True. Science. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I do love, we've heard a lot that Asheville's a very artistic community. I think a lot of people forget that um, cooking can be very artistic. So I love that that's happening here. Yeah. And it's part I mean, that's, of that. the, the chefs are artists. Yeah. Yeah, that's, it's like an artist can make a living. Cool. Let's mm -hmm. be a chef, you know? Like, I think it's great. This brings us to the end of our interview with Jamie. It was such a pleasure. Uh, it was a lovely day. And uh, I hope that we can do more 
more outdoor interviews (laughs) on rocks. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) We can goals. We can make this happen. We can make this happen. (laughs) Thank you so much to all of you for listening and for joining us on this. Another bonus. Uh, If you would like to email us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. Or you can get in touch with us via social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at saverpod. Thank you, as always, to our super producer, Dylan Fagan. Thank you to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.